0: John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all uh, all might believe." Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth this is the word of God I love that little video clip that was played earlier where it spoke about some questionable gifts one year my brother one of my brothers gave me a battery i have no idea what he thought was good about it but anyway i was as gracious as i could be at 11 years old three years later a different brother gave me a king-size can of deodorant. I think I was a bit less gracious with that one. But today we're speaking about God's unspeakable gift. That's a quotation from Scripture. This passage from John's Gospel is so well known. We hear it every Christmas and it becomes so familiar that the depth of it can be lost. This morning I want to try and help us to understand something of that depth with apologies to classic scholars who might be among us. When we open our Bibles and look at the different accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, we can easily recognise that there is a similarity between the writings of Matthew, Mark and Luke, even though each of them has a different emphasis. But John's Gospel is quite different. John's Gospel was written several decades later than the other Gospels. John. It's almost as if he assumes that we, his readers, are already familiar with the contents of the other writings. Do you know, it may actually be that John had seen and read those gospel accounts for himself. So rather than retelling stories from Jesus' life that have already been covered, John seeks to pre- a different, more reflective account, with a different perspective and a greater emphasis on meaning. John's purpose is very clear. He wants to prove beyond all doubt that Jesus is part of God, that Jesus is God. And that theme runs through his whole writing, through the whole of the Gospel according to St John. And that heavenly, that thinking, that Purpose heavily influences his choice of what he's going to include in the writing. But before we have a closer look to this so called prologue, in other words, the opening verses that I've read to you, it's really quite important for us to know something about the context in which he wrote these verses in the way that he did. Now, by the time John was writing his gospel, The good news of Jesus had spread around the Mediterranean Sea. It had spread to Rome and to Greece, to North Africa, and even eastward towards India. As we know, Jesus was a Jew. So were his disciples. The initial growth in the church was among the Jewish people, but by the closing decades of the first century, Converts to Christianity were overwhelmingly Gentile. They were predominantly Greek people who had a different mindset, a different way of thinking. John was well aware that as time had gone by, there were changes in Christian thinking and understanding about the nature of God and who Jesus is, was even after the other three Gospels had been written, a Greek person with a Greek mind could not really get what Matthew was talking about. I mean, the opening verses of his writings are all about genealogy. Jews loved ancestry. They were totally wrapped up in their own history. But the Greeks didn't care about that. Genealogies meant nothing to the Greek people. And anyway, who is this revered King David? Never heard of him. To the Greek mind, the notion of God was all about order and reason. Not so much an entity, more a supervisory force. That's not how the Jews understood God, of course. I mean, he was their God. Now, I've only highlighted two issues there, but there were many more. There were major disagreements and not a few heresies and about all sorts of issues, and there was precious little authoritative guidance. And so John set to work to bring clarity, to bring unity, to bring truth about God and about Jesus. And he starts by quoting the opening statements from Genesis in the beginning. Now he's got their attention. And then he introduces a really important concept the Word. Notice that on the screen, but also in your Bible, In John chapter 1, where it speaks about the Word, the Word has a capital letter. That doesn't happen anywhere else. In the beginning was the Word. Now the Jews could accept the use of the Word in their thinking. The spoken word to the Jew had independent existence. My Word is my bond. Is a saying which signifies power, it signifies promise, it signifies commitment. Remember too, that prominent Jewish history, in Jewish history, a prominent person was old blind Isaac, who was tripped in, tricked into giving his verbal blessing to Jacob, the younger of his two sons, instead of to Esau, the rightful heir. You know, when all came to light, Isaac could not take back the blessing. The words had been said. End of. To the Jewish mind, word also referred to God's power because God spoke the word into existence. Let there be light. Let there be water. Let us make man in our own image. Words from God. Now to the Greeks, the Greeks understood word, which in their language is translated Logos. Actually, our New Testament was originally written in Greek, so it's the other way around. Logos. This was a concept widely used in Greek philosophy referring to reason or wisdom. Logos was used to describe the ordering, directing principle that governed the universe, a concept which they understood as God. And so by using this one word, Logos, word, word, Logos, John aimed to bring unity to thinking and to the description of God and Jesus to a wider range of people than who had been trapped in their own culture, their own mindset, their own thinking, their own worldview for so long. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. But hold on a minute. If the word, Logos, is God, then how can the word be with God? What does that mean? It means that Jesus has always existed. He has existed with God for all time. He has been part of God's creative nature for all time. He means that Jesus is indistinguishable from God Part of God we might begin to recognise that there's something in there about our understanding of the Trinity but we're not going to do that today you'll be relieved to hear part of our problem in understanding the relationship between Jesus and God the connectedness of Jesus and God is that Throughout, his, throughout Scripture, we read that God referred to Jesus as his son, and Jesus refers to God as my father. That language implies separation, that there is a division. But those words have to be in place, because during the earthly life of Jesus, whilst there was a strong relational link, there was a separation. Father and son were words used to help us to understand. Why? Because there is nothing in human understanding more powerful as the bond between parent and child, child and parent. But before Jesus came as a man, there was no father-son. There was the word. Back to our text. John adds another word to describe. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is another powerful reference back to the creative power of God. Let there be light. And throughout the New Testament, there is reference to light versus darkness light shining in a dark place, and so on. An important part of Hebrew philosophy, light. Life and light are referred to together, but this light cannot be extinguished or dimmed. The darkness cannot overcome it. Incidentally, it will not have escaped your attention that in the middle of this really heavy stuff, that the disciple John is offering us, John the Baptist suddenly makes an appearance. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came as a witness to the light. Now, I've already mentioned that there were a lot of heresies and false teachings about this time. One commentary has suggested that there was a faction amongst Jewish believers and several Jewish scholars late in the first century who gave greater prominence to the person and the life of John the Baptist than was appropriate, treating him as if he had divine identity. Perhaps because he himself was a prophet and came before Jesus with a message of repentance. Perhaps also because John was related to Jesus through their respective mothers. The fact that John the Baptist seemed to emulate the prophet Elijah in appearance and lifestyle and some of his utterings probably contributed as well. And so it may be, it may be, That in an effort to counter this false claim and to bring clarity to a wrong belief, here at the very outset of this Gospel account, we see John the Baptist's role being confirmed as showing the way to Jesus, not claiming anything for himself. That same theme is continued in the rest of chapter one of John's Gospel, in which we see John the Baptist emphatically denying that he is the Messiah and prophetically referring to Jesus as the Lamb of God. And he even directed his own disciples to Jesus. He himself was not the light, he came as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to everyone. Well, I don't see very many closed eyes, one or two glazed expressions, but thank you for staying awake long enough. That's the hard bit. That's the hard bit. Personally, I think that of all of the bits of the Bible that are traditionally read in this lead-up to Christmas, this reading from John chapter 1 is the most important. Why do I say that? Because it doesn't... It not only tells us that Jesus has existed long before there was a person called Jesus, it clarifies for us that whilst Christmas is about Jesus, that's only the beginning. That's only the beginning. It tells us that no matter how much we try and confine Christmas to the month of December, and let's face it, that's a struggle these days, isn't it? Mince pies in April, what's all that about? Mind you, it's... As we speak, there are hot cross buns on the shelves in Asda. No matter how much we try and confine Christmas to the month of December, Christmas is part of something much bigger. Part of something much, much, much bigger. It's part of God's enormous plan to bring salvation to the world. Does that matter? Is it necessary for us to understand that? Yes, it is. Friends, I don't want to be overdramatic. It doesn't matter whether you've been worshipping God for 50 years or whether you're trying to decide about him now. The fact is, it's a matter of life and death. story is told of a certain farmer. He was a matter of fact sort of guy. He saw the world through his own eyes. It so happened that his wife was an active Christian, but he was quite sceptical of her beliefs. To him he did not make sense of the fact that a man called Jesus could be God, that God would send his son, that he would send part of himself to earth to become a man. Didn't make sense. One autumn night, in the midst of a very severe storm, there was a dreadful commotion outside the isolated farmhouse. On investigating, the farmer found that a huge migrating flock of geese had become lost and disorientated in the storm and had been forced to land. They were terrified. They were in real danger from the elements. What on earth could he do? The geese needed shelter. They probably needed food and drink. And yet every time he went near them, they scattered. He propped open the barn door and wedged it against the wind. And he put a light on inside the barn, and he tried to encourage the geese in their safety But in their panic, in their fear of him, they just scattered. He tried and he tried, but they would not recognise him. They couldn't see that he was trying to help. All he could do was to return to the house and hope that they would find their own way into the safety of the barn. The following morning, after the storm had cleared, he found devastation there were many dead geese the remainder of the flock had left the farmer was profoundly moved by the loss of life of these beautiful creatures shortly after lunch that day his wife went off to a regular church meeting as usual she invited him to go with her as usual he dismissively said no He was upset. Where was this God of hers? He thought as his thinking returned to the sad events of the previous night. Where was her God? And then his thinking continued. If only, if only I had persuaded these geese to follow me into that barn. How could I have done that? As his thinking progressed, he suddenly thought what was needed was a goose who they could trust, one of their own who could show them the way to safety. And suddenly, a light went on in his head and he dropped to his knees The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. I'm smiling at...